Hi, everyone. It's Jillian with Civic Genius. Today, we're continuing our series on digital disinformation and free speech, uh, something that everyone on the internet has an opinion about. Um, so Civic Genius is a nonpartisan organization. We work with tons of people across the political spectrum, and there are competing things that I've been hearing a lot lately. So our friends on the left will say social media is full of misinformation on things like COVID or elections. Uh, it's full of hate speech, other posts that have a negative impact, and tech companies don't do nearly enough to take down all of this garbage. And then we have friends on the right who will say, you know, tech companies take down way too much content. They censor conservatives, and a few companies shouldn't get to decide what kind of content people see. So as usual, I think this issue is not black and white, and I'm so glad to be joined today by Paul Barrett, who is Deputy Director of the Center for Business and Human Rights at the New York University Stern School of Business. He's also the author of a new report about how the federal government should regulate tech companies to clean up misinformation on their platforms. Paul, thank you so much for talking with me today. Very glad to be here. Thank you. To start off, could you just tell us, what do you mean when you talk about misinformation, and why do you see it as a problem? Uh, misinformation is generally defined as uh, false information that uh, spreads not necessarily intentionally uh, on the Internet. Uh, it doesn't have to be on the Internet, but today that's what we're generally talking about. Um, and it is usually distinguished from disinformation which is um, intentionally false information spread on the internet. Um, usually uh, it's understood that disinformation has behind it uh, a motivation such as to uh, heighten divisiveness, uh, sow discord um, or otherwise uh, confuse people, whereas misinformation may or may not uh, be intentionally uh, amplified uh, on social media platforms or elsewhere. So there are, Billions of social media posts every day in different languages all over the world. It's hard to wrap my head around how tech companies can manage that volume in a way that is smart and responsible and values free speech. And you make the point that social media companies went really hard to grow really fast, and they didn't really have a plan to manage all of this. That's uh, exactly right. Uh, I don't think that when he started uh, Mark Zuckerberg um, thought that uh, 15 years later, uh, the platform that he and his colleagues had created um, would have more than 2 billion uh, users around the world. Um, moreover, um, the, the business plan that uh, he and others formulated uh, early on uh, was seen as being extraordinarily profitable for the specific reason that they wouldn't need a huge uh, payroll in order to operate the system. The idea is that once you have once you've written the code and you've got the platform up and running and you've hired your marketing people and the engineers you need to keep it running, um, you know, having a, an additional increment of, of, uh, of posts or users it shouldn't necessarily cost anything. Um, unfortunately, that led to a, uh, you know, sort of small payroll, um, huge user base uh, model um, that hasn't really uh, served Facebook uh, well. Uh, once it became clear how much of a problem the harmful content was going to be on the platform. Right. So tell us about your proposal. What do you, what do you think we should do about this? The, the proposal uh, addresses uh, a set of problems that go beyond mis- and disinformation. Broadly speaking, I'm talking about a very wide range of harmful content um, that can include uh, hate speech, it could include harassment, cyber stalking, um, 
you know, racial discrimination um, in the provision of certain services or goods uh, and, uh, uh, you know, incitement of, of political violence. So with, I think there's a very broad consensus that there's just too much of that um, on the platforms um, and that um, the presence of that kind of harmful content is having, uh, you know, concrete consequences um, in, in the real world, um, which range from uh, distrust of democratic institutions like elections to uh, misunderstandings and uh, uh, undermining of public uh, health policies, we, as we've just been witnessing in a worldwide lethal uh, pandemic, um, to the, the kind of uh, extremism uh, exemplified um, by the insurrection at the Capitol uh, January 6, 2021. The platforms have, have, have made some reforms since 2016, um, when the uh, presidential election was interrupted and interfered with um, by Russian operatives, but they haven't gone far enough. They haven't moved vigorously enough, and, and they haven't made fundamental changes that might uh, address these problems in a more basic way, um, such as you know, uh, changing uh, the, the basic design of their algorithms so that uh, user engagement was not the top priority. I think a lot of advocates of reform uh, uh, of, of the social media industry uh, initially and still today would prefer uh, that, that the industry take care of these problems itself. Um, but we've reluctantly concluded um, that they're not going to move fast enough or uh, effectively enough and that some type of government regulation is needed. Um, and that comes uh, in part in response to the fact that the social media industry right now is not regulated systematically by anybody. You have some antitrust lawsuits that have been filed. In a sense, that's a form of regulation, but it's not the, it's not the kind of sustained uh, day-in, day-out oversight that, say, broadcast television and radio receive or the equity markets uh, receive or, or pretty much any industry, um, you know, uh, whether it's manufacturing and pharmaceuticals, uh, chemicals, um, you know, transportation, all of those uh, industries have uh, federal agencies that oversee them on, a, on an ongoing basis. Um, social media does not. It's, it's a new industry. And the initial instinct as it began to take shape uh, 25 years ago was that um, the government should not uh, interfere with innovation uh, in this area, which was a fine sentiment at the time, but I think at this point is a little bit outdated. Um, so then the question is, is, what should you have the government do? And my suggestion, um, which parallels uh, proposals that have made in, in some, but not all, of the legislation that's been proposed in this area, is that the Federal Trade Commission uh, should be involved. And more specifically, uh, the Federal Trade Commission should act under its existing uh, authority to uh, uh, oversee uh, consumer protection, uh, that that authority is, uh, could appropriately be applied um, to the social media industry um, so that the FTC would be on the lookout for uh, unfair or deceptive uh, practices or acts, um, which is the, the, the language from the, you know, the FTC's main statute, um, and that uh, it would be possible for the FTC uh, to engage in oversight um, designed to stop unfair and deceptive activity um, without moving into the, the danger zone of interfering with free speech, which I acknowledge up front is a potential problem in this area because 
uh, the platforms are in the business of disseminating expression. Um, so we can't have the government uh, with a heavy hand um, telling the platforms what their policies are in connection with uh, that expression, with, with that content. And we can't have the government involved in uh, individual decisions about particular pieces of content. E either of those um, would be uh, a violation of the First Amendment um, and unwise as, as policy. So my proposal um, tries, to, tries to sort of move down the, the middle between where we are today with no sustained government intervention and on the other side, the, the danger of, of overreaching government intervention to uh, thread the needle, so to speak, um, with uh, consumer protection uh, oversight. Got it. So basically you're saying that it, so the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission handles consumer, consumer safety, consumer protection. Consumer protection is, is the, the term of art. Yeah. Okay. So basically you're saying that if a social media company promises to keep its platform free of say hate speech or conspiracy theories or whatever it promises that the company actually would have to do that. If it does, if it tells its users, it's going to do something, it would have to do that. So if I'm Facebook and I say, okay, we're not going to allow any pornography or sorry, if I meta and we're not going to allow any pornography on Instagram, then if I say that I'd actually have to do it. Right. And if I specifically, you'd have to have a clearly articulated policy, first of all, that explained what you meant by pornography in a way that uh, your your users um, could readily understand. Um, that you'd have to have clearly explained uh, enforcement practices. Okay, so what would happen if someone violated the policy, and and how would you go about that? How would you find out that they'd violated it? Would it be through an automated system? Would it be through user reports? Would it be through um, an employee who is, uh, you know, moderating content or all of the above. Um, and you'd have to sort of lay out how you were going to do it and you'd have to um, devote the resources to it um, that would be necessary. Um, the term that I use in the proposal is procedurally adequate. The idea being not that the government would say, um, you know, here's all this pornography, you're not taking it down, we're going to take it down or we're going to order you to take it down. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, instead, the uh, FTC would, would make sure um, that if you've promised to screen out categories of, of unwelcome content, uh, that you actually have a, a procedure set up to do it that's reasonable, um, that has the resources behind it, both in terms of money and person power and algorithm power um, that makes it, uh, that shows you're making a good faith effort, and that there would be a certain degree of due process involved in the sense that uh, you would explain what would happen if someone thinks you've made a mistake and comes back to you and says, well, you took this down, you categorized it as hate speech, but in fact, it was just a joke. And I want you to look at it again and see that, in fact, it was just satire. Um, so that the, the government would be there to make sure the procedure and the enforcement um, were set up the right way, um, not to get involved in particular decisions. And by its definition, this is a limited amount of oversight. Uh, this would not be a, a panacea. It wouldn't solve all of our problems with content that, that some people, either users or the public at large, might see as being harmful. Um, and that, that's simply a, a sort of a, a limitation in this area of what the government uh, can do, because the government cannot, as I said, get involved in uh, deciding what is or isn't hate speech. That That's giving the government um, the, the power potentially to censor 
and the combination of that power with the government's general, uh, you know, uh, power and authority is is the the toxic combination that the First Amendment is designed to prevent. Right. You're allowed to say incorrect things online, even if it <laughs> makes us crazy. Incorrect, and... in, incorrect things, hateful things, um, and so forth. But let's talk about inc incorrect for a for a moment. Um, yes, you're allowed to say, you know, uh, that I think uh, Joe Biden is a bad president, or I think Joe Biden's a terrific president. You know, th those are un unprovable um, opinions, and you might have some statistics to back them up, and whatever, you know, however you see that argument coming together, the government should not be interfering with that. However, if the um, platform says, you know, uh, we don't want our platform to promote democracy, um, not to undermine democracy. Um, and in connection with that, we will not allow people in the run-up to an election or in the aftermath of, of an election to make um, you know, truly baseless, provably false uh, claims that elections have been rigged and that um, people who back the losing um, candidate uh, you know, should head down to the state house or the U.S. Capitol and uh, you know, you pull politicians out by their collars and and put their guy in um, because we think that's bad for democracy here at Platform X. Um, that's something that platforms can certainly impose rules about. And I think under the system that I'm proposing, um, the government could say, well, if you're promising that, do you have a process set up to actually execute it? Not making the substantive decision as to whether Content, the content in question is, uh, you know, is, is undermining elections and therefore undercutting democracy more generally. Um, but that if the platform is going to promise that that's what it, it offers in terms of the, the product it's putting out into the marketplace, that the platform has to follow through on that promise. Right. It's kind of a truth in advertising uh, yeah, approach. In that spirit. Or, or, I mean, it, it's often in this kind of thing helpful. Um, since we're talking about some, you know, a form of regulation that doesn't exist presently, to compare it to something that does exist, the FTC for years has brought enforcement cases um, against businesses that promise their customers that if their customers use credit cards or provide other kinds of um, personal information in connection with the transaction, um, that their personal data, credit card or otherwise, will be safe. And um, when it turns out that a company uh, has failed to follow through on that promise, when it turns out that its uh, you know, uh, servers are, are not safe from uh, cyber uh, intrusions, as happens from time to time, as we, as we all read to our chagrin that this company X or company Y um, you know, has been uh, breached in 10,000 or 100,000 or a million uh, credit card uh, accounts have been, have been stolen, um, that if, if the FTC investigates and finds that, that there's no security or not reasonable security, um, that they bring an action against that company. And they, they've done that. And um, I think that's a, an analogy. It, it's not a perfect analogy, but it, it gives you the, the spirit of the thing. If you're, if you're going to promise something, you, you need to follow through. If you're a car company and you say you're going to you know, sell people uh, you know, functioning cars, and then it turns out there's no engine in the car, that's no good. That, right. that, that's deceptive. That's unfair. Right. And and to your point, it sounds like this is an approach that lets consumers vote with their feet, 
and their dollars. So if I would rather go to a place that does not, if I would rather go to a social media platform that does not say it's going to moderate anything, I can go to Gab or Parler and do that. And the government, the under this proposal, that would be fine. If Gab, for example, said, we'll take nothing down, then all they have to do is provide enough moderation to take nothing down. Right. That's exactly right. I mean, we're not talking, I'm not talking about, about forcing any particular platform um, to have a certain level um, of, of content filtering or, mo- or moderation, whatever you want to call it. Um, uh, so this, this approach, as I say, is limited. It, 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 it's limited to, um, uh, you know, basically uh, 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 forcing companies to follow through on the promises they make, not telling them what promises they have to make. Right. And it's, you make the point um, in your report that the big social media platforms, so Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, for example, they already take down a lot of posts because they think it's what their users want. They would say our users don't want hate speech and spam and all of this other stuff. So they're kind of, you know, if uh, you may think that they're taking down too much stuff, but yeah, to this point, they're, they would say that they're responding to market realities. I think that's kind of your proposal is, is one of the more kind of compelling and balanced ones that, that I've seen. So I think that's, uh, right. I think it's, no, that's exactly right. Um, you know, I, because a, a critic who was naive about the functioning of this particular sector might say, well, you're not, you know, since you're not going to require a certain base level of policies, there's just going to be a race to the bottom and, 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 uh, platforms are going to do nothing that way they would escape, uh, the, uh, the radar of the regulators. Um, and that's just, you know, not at all the case. Um, that all the mainstream platforms already do extensive moderation because they have to in order to keep uh, keep their users on the site. Um, the, the alternative to what you see on Facebook, um, you know, if you take away the content moderation, both the automated systems and the and the humans who are involved with that, you know, w- would be just a complete cesspool in, in very short order. It would just be filled with spam and pornography and and people cutting other people's heads off and torturing animals and so forth. Um, and uh, as a result, in order to keep their businesses going, plat- you know, mainstream platforms are going to do a certain amount of content moderation, and they're going to have, and they already describe what they're doing in their terms of service and in other statements, you know, their community standards, what have you. Um, and in part, this is an effort to make those descriptions and promises more explicit, easy to understand, less self-contradictory, and um, you know, through all of that, you're, one is hoping um, that, that the platforms would then have an incentive um, to follow through on those promises and to be more systematic and, and to invest more energy uh, and resources. But I, I want to add that the proposal includes a, another component that has to do with disclosure, which really is sort of the, the twin to what we've been talking about so far. Yeah. Could you talk a little more about that? Sure. The uh, FTC, without fear of um, uh, First Amendment uh, complexities um, can, if it wants to, uh, demand that uh, uh, social media platforms uh, disclose uh, far more information than they are now voluntarily uh, disclosing. Um, you know, automobile manufacturers have to disclose to the federal government all kinds of, of safety information, as do the makers of, of medicines, uh, the makers of, of chemicals, um, pr- pretty much, you know, any, anyone who produces you know, any type of significant good that has an impact on the economy is, is it's in one way or another uh, going to be required to 
make disclosures about the safety, the effectiveness of those goods and services. Even if does that include what they would consider trade secrets? Well, you have tension with the question of proprietary intellectual property, and that question would absolutely exist here. But I think the thing to emphasize is that we have negotiated that problem, that tension in countless other industries. And, you know, it leads to problems and disagreements and sometimes even litigation. Those are the problems of having a complicated economy and a big government and trying to find a happy medium. But, you know, we know very, very little right now about how the algorithms that rank and recommend and remove content operate. People have, you know, general understandings of the factors that are weighed by those algorithms. But, you know, we don't have anything close to comprehensive information about that. And if that kind of information were disclosed, it would have several good effects. If users understood why and how certain pieces of content end up in front of them, as opposed to other pieces of content which don't end up in front of them, that would allow users to say, I object to this. I'm going to go to another site. Or just, I'm not going to go to another site. I like this site, but I'm unhappy and I want you to change. Advertisers armed with that kind of information could potentially put pressure on platforms. This kind of disclosure, you know, would allow for more thoroughgoing research on how the platforms operate. Right now, the vast majority of such research is done only in-house by the companies themselves. I mean, Facebook does a lot of this kind of research, asking questions about how the workings of its platform affect society. But it doesn't publicize most of the results, certainly not the results that are in some way, you know, embarrassing to the company or otherwise show that there are big problems. We learned that most dramatically with the recent disclosures from Francis Haugen, the so-called Facebook whistleblower, about the volume of internal research that's actually done there. But with greater disclosure, I mean, you could set up a system where the FTC would preside over kind of a clearinghouse of information where certified academics could say, I want to do the following kinds of research. And Facebook on the other side would say, well, we would have to, you know, make the data anonymous in the following ways. And you could have kind of a negotiation over that. And then the research could be done, perhaps with anonymized data. Other information that's a little bit more general could just be released to the public. And we would come to a much better and thorough understanding of the degree to which the platforms can control the kinds of problems we're talking about, and then whether they should control those problems and how. So I think that's a big part of the path toward better understanding of the platforms and ultimately the surfacing of ideas for reducing the kinds of problems that we've seen in recent years. All of which should be done with the understanding that we are not going to eliminate all these kinds of problems. The vast scale of these platforms makes it almost impossible to imagine, let alone implement, a system that would really, you know, kind of filter out all the bad stuff. Even if you can name all the bad stuff, you know, when there's, as you said, billions of pieces of content flowing onto the platforms every day, 
it's hard to imagine a system that would be able to sort of handle all of that um, flawlessly. So we shouldn't right. expect that. Right. Yeah. And, and you could, so I, I could imagine someone saying that this, um, so in practice, what would this look like? I'll, I'll start off there actually. So this would mean social media companies are going to Im improve their algorithms to flag more problematic content. They're going to hire, I don't know, tens of thousands of more moderators. I have no idea how many moderators you would need <laughs> to manage um, this. Yeah. Well, a first step before like dictating or, or saying like you should change it in the following ways is how does it work now? Just like, mm -hmm. what, what are you doing? What, what's the, you know, what's going into uh, the algorithms as, as they work now? Um, can you, if you want to Facebook or Twitter or YouTube or TikTok uh, or Instagram, can you actually, you know, in the, the Silicon Valley lingo, you know, turn the dial a little bit or break glass as they say, Meaning that that when 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 sort of you're expecting that there's going to be problems out in the real world, civic unrest, a reaction to a controversial trial, a fallout from election, can you actually sort of tone things down some? And how do you do that? And the answer is we they can do it, um, and they have on a, on certain occasions actually said they're doing it for mm -hmm. a certain period of time, and then they undo it and put it back to the way it was. All right, well. How do you do it? How effective is it when you when you do it? And why do you turn it back? If, if you're making it in some way better, why do you turn it back toward the other way? And we can we have pretty good sense as to why that is. The answer is because the normal way prioritizes uh, engagement, which is to say people staying on the platform in terms of time and interacting with the platform in terms of liking or commenting or, or sharing uh, uh, information. And the platforms prioritize engagement, user engagement, um, because that's a metric that lets them turn to their advertisers and say, look, engagement is at this high, is at this level. And if you buy advertising, what can, you can count on that level. And the advertiser says, great, we wanna make sure there's actually people there looking at our ads and people who are not uh, taking a nap, they're actually engaged. Um, but if you, you know, but, but there are ways to, to, you know, potentially, you know, turn the temperature down. And, um, the question is, is like, what, what's the, what's the balance? I mean, we're not saying there should be zero priority put on engagement, but if it can be adjusted and, and, and other, uh, factors can be heightened, for example, you, you could heighten, you know, uh, the authenticity of news reports by, uh, coming up with criteria for what constitutes an authoritative source of information versus a you know less reliable source of information and favor the more authoritative uh, sources of information and a hundred other potential factors. Uh, so just knowing how, how the mechanics work now um, would be the place to start. And then, you know, you or I or uh, a member of Congress or you know others can say, well, we think you should move in that direction. And a Facebook, presumably, now that the public is armed with a lot more information, would have would be under more pressure to answer those challenges um, in a more substantive and I would hope more productive uh, productive way. Right, like a cigarette manufacturer or whoever made the Corvair. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, GM. GM. So. Are there, um, or actually, let me ask you, 
So one criticism I could imagine is that if we elect a president in the future from whichever party you think is terrible, and that president Mm -hmm. says, you know, a lot of people are saying things about me on YouTube that I really don't like, and Mm -hmm. I'm going to lean on the FTC to really extra enforce this law Mm -hmm. um, we have when it comes to YouTube. Um, Like, there are some policies that I think are a great idea, and then the exercise I do is, okay, if someone I think is terrible is enforcing this idea, do I still think it's a good idea? So does that... Does that concern you? Um, It's uh, a a completely natural um, concern. And it is the kind of concern that illustrates the wisdom of the First Amendment, that the government will not, you know, uh, in little literal words of the First Amendment, Congress shall shall not, you know, uh, abridge free free speech or the press. Um, And again, we... The wisdom there is that when you combine the uh, tremendous coercive uh, power of the government with the power to censor or restrict speech, you're going to undercut democracy. Um, that that's a danger that you know that lurks sort of all the time. I mean, who, you know, whoever's in power, there, there's a danger of overreaching in any number of ways. Um, and of course, we this isn't really a hypothetical exercise you're going through because, you know, from 2017 to uh, 2020, we had a president who repeatedly threatened the exact companies we're talking about um, because in his perception, they were treating him unfairly. Here's the problem, though, with um, with that kind of analysis. If the analysis is um, that a bad president could misuse this, um, I'm not sure like what regulatory reform or what uh, efforts to, uh, you know, uh, make the government, augment government uh, authority in a way that we think would help society, um, you'd be able to go forward with. I think you'd be paralyzed if if, if that were the uh, criterion. I mean, there's kind of a million things that I'd be, uh, that that I'm very nervous about. You know, if if Donald Trump is is reelected, I'm worried about, um, you know, making the IRS more effective. Um, the IRS leaves billions and billions of dollars on the table every yeah. year um, because of uh, resource uh, shortcomings. Their computers are uh, outmoded. Um, they need more employees and so forth. I would be for beefing up the IRS's ability to do its job. Um, but if you have, you know, Richard Nixon or, uh, or or Donald Trump in the White House, they may say, hey, I can use the IRS to squeeze my opponents, which Richard Nixon actually tried to do. Right. Uh, and if it, you know, occurs to Donald Trump, I'm sure he'll try to do it too. The Defense Department needs to protect us against foreign national cyber attacks, which is a very, you know, real uh, threat. You know, the, the Russians for years have been trying to penetrate parts of our uh, infrastructure, and according to news reports, that they, they have planted malware on the, you know, servers of um, of, uh, of of you know vast infrastructure uh, systems. Uh, and we've done the same to their to their systems. We need to be stay on the cutting edge of all that. You know, could Donald Trump, um, you know, abuse that capacity? Absolutely. Um, but I don't think that's, a ju- that's enough of a justification to not like think about how to improve these things. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So I, I recognize that. I mean, more broadly, I recognize that there's a First Amendment hazard in everything we've been talking about. All every, the ideas that I'm pushing, you know, could, um, uh, 
well, first of all, they will result in First Amendment challenges. The uh, uh, platform companies will sue the government over this to block this, and the courts will have to sort this out. Um, and apart from the, the political legal reality that the, those lawsuits will come, um, is it the continuing question of can the government be vigorous, uh, attend to the procedural adequacy of content moderation, and not go overboard and give in to the temptation um, to, to overreach? That's a really valid question. So I don't, like, run away from it. I mean, we, we should, it should, in the proposal itself, I actually suggest that the authorizing legislation should explicitly, you know, prohibit the FTC from doing certain things at the same time that it's authorizing it um, to be more vigorous. So I think it's a really valid question, and we have to be on our guard permanently and perennially um, for that kind of overreaching. But I don't think it's a sufficient reason to say, oh, there's nothing we can do about social media. We're, our hands are tied. Right. <laughs> we have a system of government. This is how it works. I wanted to ask you about some of the bills that are floating around Congress right now. Mm -hmm. So there are, I think, dozens just on yep. regulating tech companies generally. There are almost yep. 20 just on Section 230 and what we should do with it and whether whether we should have it alone. Um, you write about some of these bills in your report that you think at least have elements of good policy. Mm -hmm. Could you talk about some of the bills that you think are worthwhile? There are so many of them, and they take so many disparate approaches, you, know, you could divide them into many categories, but let's do two very broad categories. Um, one, uh, the Section 230, which you just uh, raised, that being one category, the revision of Section 230, and then category number two, uh, very broadly speaking, being bills that imagine the FTC playing some uh, additional uh, affirmative regulatory role, and let's take those in order. So most of the debate since 2016, when all of this uh, really wasn't until 2017, in the wake of the 2016 um, presidential election, when we began to pay attention to all of this and Congress began to call various um, tech CEOs uh, in front of committees to testify, the, the main uh, set of proposals have had to do with revising Section 230. Uh, Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act of 1996 says two things, broadly speaking. One, a uh, tech platform, it actually uses different lingo, but we can, we can say a social media platform cannot be held liable um, for uh, content that users post on its platform. Um, so that is a, a protection um, against being sued in connection with something that a user has put on the platform so that the, the platform can't be held responsible for the hundreds of millions of users who are sticking stuff up on it constantly. Uh, if, you, if you want to go after, if you're concerned about that content, you have to go after the person who put it up, not the content, that, not the platform that's hosting. The second thing that Section 230 does is it provides the same kind of liability protection, which is to say protection against lawsuits um, in connection with uh, decisions that the platform makes in terms of taking things down or leaving them up. So Section 230 protects platforms against lawsuits. Uh, the proposals to uh, revise Section 230 mostly would curtail the amount of protection that the law provides in a variety of ways. The simplest approach to understand is it would are proposals to carve out exceptions to Section 230 
um, for certain types of harmful content. So, for example, uh, you might want to say that because I'm really concerned about child pornography being on social media platforms, I'm, I want to carve out an explicit carve out Section 230 that would allow uh, civil lawsuits based on examples of child pornography found on, on the platform against the platform, because I don't want to have to go after the individual purveyors of this awful stuff. I want to sue and hold liable Facebook or YouTube or whoever. Um, and there have been proposals of various categories. Each of those would allow lawsuits to move forward um, if they concern a particular type of, of harmful content. Um, this is not the problem with the Section 230 uh, reform approach is it's not an approach that guarantees uh, uh, the elimination of that category of harmful content. It's, a, it's an, a change in the law that would allow lawsuits that are currently blocked right at the outset from moving ahead. It doesn't even guarantee the lawsuits will succeed. It just means they'll be able to move toward trial. So it's revising that law is a very indirect way of creating an incentive for the platform to be more vigilant about a certain kind of harmful content. So they could just direct all of their moderation firepower no, at... No, no, no. <laughs> I don't think you imagine they direct all of their moderation, but if you you know if you were really concerned about um, content that uh, you know supports terrorism, and you think, oh my God, we've got to get all that off now because that's that's the worst. Um, you 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 would allow lawsuits. You would allow the victims of people, the, excuse me, the relatives of victims of terrorism to bring civil lawsuits saying, uh, you know, Hamas or whoever uh, was active on your your platform. I can't sue Hamas. So I'm going to sue you, um, and I want to hold you responsible. And right now, Section 230 would actually block that lawsuit. Mm -hmm. You reform Section 230 to allow lawsuits over uh, that relate uh, uh, to claims of material support of terrorism. That lawsuit goes forward. Is that a good thing in the world? In my mind, I have no problem with that lawsuit going forward. But does that reform the way that the platform in question does content moderation in general? No, it clearly does not. Mm -hmm. um, would it? It would get very expensive for tech companies quickly. Would it? Possibly matter. It would possibly, it would possibly um, get, get uh, expensive. That's true. Um, but uh, you know, if you've ever visited Facebook's headquarters, you would see. Hmm, I bet they can afford it. Um, so, it, in my mind, it, it's not. The, I, I think Facebook would be concerned about that, um, not primarily because of the expense. Um, but because of the, you know, the bad light it would cast them in, lawsuits that right now are, are sort of knocked out of the courthouse right away could proceed and be very, you know, troubling to Facebook in the sense of, wow, maybe we weren't as responsible as we should have been. Maybe we look pretty bad here. Um, for smaller platforms and uh, crucially for startups, people just trying to get into the business, um, it could be prohibited. And that's uh, one of the arguments that's made by defenders of Section 230 who say that it, it remains a, uh, an important shield that allows innovation and allows startups and smaller social media companies uh, to get off the ground. E even not so small companies, uh, you know, would Yelp be able to function if it could be sued right and left um, for all kinds of things that reviewers who post on Yelp say? Perhaps not. Um, so personally, I would be for 
preserving Section 230 overall, in, in particular so that startup companies and smaller companies would be able to, uh, would not be inundated by litigation and, and possibly just, you know, chased out of the business altogether. And if Congress has principled reasons to choose certain areas that it wants uh, to emphasize to create incentives for the, the platforms to be more uh, aggressive, that seems like a reasonable approach to me, but very limited and, and not the answer to the overall uh, uh, you know, range of problems that the companies uh, 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 you know, are at the moment um, exacerbating. Further, one final word on Section 230. Uh, some of the Section 230 reform bills have what I think is a, a good element to them, which is to say they would allow lawsuits to be filed when the claim is that the platform has amplified a certain category of harmful content. Let's use uh, material support of terrorism, uh, again, just as an example. So that if the platform, if, if, if the plaintiff can prove that the uh, that for whatever reason the the platform's uh, algorithms had had um, uh, amplified material, uh, had put it higher in uh, certain users' feeds, um, or had even recommended it um, to people. Said, "Hey, take a, you, know, you because of your background and your web habits, we think you'd be interested in this information about terrorism." Um, then then the lawsuit could go forward. There would be potential liability. Um, but that if it was just a question of material being posted and the uh, platform had not particularly promoted it or amplified it, or even had, and they of course can do this, had demoted it, had downranked mm -hmm. it, then you wouldn't have liability. I think that limitation um, makes sense, that the platform should be held responsible when they've done something to promote the content as opposed to just being there and being and making the platform available to the content uh, being posted in the first place. Mm -hmm. So that's Section 230. I, I think you know Section 230 should be definitely be amended to make sure that it's clear that FTC and other federal government enforcement lawsuits can go forward, and then possibly as a secondary matter, other potentially other areas of harmful content that lawmakers think uh, merit. Uh, being singled out in that way. Mm -hmm. Now, switching to the second group of, of uh, bills, um, these are bills that uh, point to the FTC as being an actor uh, and, and say that we want the FTC involved in some way with uh, overseeing uh, social media. Um, and ultimately, the FTC's enforcement authority would flow from its consumer protection authority, which already exists. Uh, and then those bills go uh, seek to accomplish various uh, goals uh, with the uh, signaling that the FTC should be involved in making sure those goals are accomplished. Um, most of, of the bills that take that approach are devoted um, pretty much, I wouldn't say exclusively, but are primarily um, uh, are, are devoted to transparency, to disclosures, to making sure that the companies divulge um, more information, both making it public to everybody and possibly uh, uh, making additional information that may have, uh, there, where there may be certain privacy concerns uh, or the kind of intellectual property concerns that you raised earlier, uh, that those would be available not publicly, but might be available to scholars 
um, who would be vetted and the and the uh, uh, research projects um, would be vetted uh, so that uh, uh, they would be you know deemed appropriate. For example, there's legislation that proposes that the uh, FTC collaborate with the National Science Foundation to uh, uh, to vet proposed uh, research uh, uh, projects, and that's an interesting and, and certainly you know worth uh, examining. Um, the bill that I think has the most uh, heft to it in terms of uh, FTC oversight uh, was introduced just recently, last week, by uh, uh, Representative Laurie Trahan and um, Adam Schiff from California. <clears throat> Obviously, Schiff is far more prominent than, than Trahan, who's only been in Congress for a few years. And Schiff, of course, has been involved in He's the um, chairman of the Intelligence Committee. has been involved in all the impeachment stuff against Trump. Um, and that bill, um, which is called the Digital Services um, uh, Oversight uh, and Safety Act, um, has uh, very uh, far-reaching uh, uh, procedures uh, that would uh, result in the disclosure of a lot of, I think, very valuable information. They, have, they set up procedures for it to be uh, done in a way that uh, there, there shouldn't be uh, concerns about uh, companies being forced to uh, violate the privacy of their uh, users. Um, and uh, yeah, pretty much everything in, in that bill strikes me as, as very worthy, um, but it doesn't have the kind of um, uh, affirmative oversight uh, authority that, that I've suggested, uh, whereby the FTC would um, make sure that content moderation was being done uh, in, in a procedurally adequate way. Um, but again, there's nothing, there's nothing like mutually exclusive. Like you could take both approaches or um, just that bill's approach. If you thought that, the, you know, that my approach was, um, was too ambitious or was problematic on first amendment grounds. Um, so th there are, there are a lot of good proposals, uh, pending. Um, and, uh, you know, unfortunately we have the political situation we have at the moment in terms of like the hyperpartisanship, and it's not clear to me which um, of these worthy bills would uh, be able to move forward. Right. Hard to imagine anything too controversial moving right now. But um, so is your, you talked about the, your affirmative oversight <laughs> proposal is not included in the Trahan and Schiff bill. Is it included yeah. in any, is that present no. anywhere in legislation? No, it, it really isn't. Um, uh, you know, I think, uh, I should mention that the, the Trahan shift bill is commendable because they specifically would create an office within the FTC that would be devoted to um, digital uh, uh, businesses uh, that would be well-staffed and well-funded and so forth, which is something I have in my proposal, which I think is, is necessary to show that you mean business. You have to right. set up, uh, you have to put some real person power behind it and some money behind it. Um, you know, I, I think that what I've suggested in that regard uh, you know, would be seen as ambitious. Uh, it would be, I think, resisted reflexively by a lot of Republicans who just wouldn't want to see the FTC strengthened, period, because that's regulation. And we've actually, as a country, spent the last um, 50 years um, beating the FTC down and, right. and, and uh, uh, limiting its activities and, and uh, giving it short shrift in terms of funding. Uh, and I think Republicans, generally speaking, are quite happy with that. Um, but, you know, I'm suggesting we need to we need to rethink all of that. And, yeah. and, and here's a good place to start.
Yeah. What do you think? So anytime I listen to a podcast, I hear an ad from Facebook saying that the regulatory system is outdated and we should update it and then kind of dot, dot, dot. What would, what do you think the tech companies would be happy with in this regard? I think that bad advertising by Facebook is entirely cynical. Yeah. Um, Sorry. You know, I I hate to hurt the feelings of the marketing people who were involved with it because I would guess that they don't see themselves as offering thoroughly cynical advertising. But uh, when they say they're in favor of updating regulation, they are referring, there can't be anything else they're referring to other than Section 230. Um, That's the only law that exists that really pertains in a direct way uh, to this industry. And it's not a regulatory law. It's a Mm -hmm. deregulatory law. It's a law that shields companies from private litigation. And the proposals there, generally speaking, are to curtail the shielding some. As we discussed already, that uh, is is a very limited reaction. And I still, I don't think that's even what Facebook's talking about. Um, I don't know exactly what they're talking about because they've never said exactly what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they, you know, they talk vaguely about greater transparency, about disclosing, you know, okay, fine, do it. <laughs> right. You don't have to wait for the federal government to regulate you in order to disclose things. Just disclose right. it if, if that's truly your goal. Meanwhile, on Capitol Hill, I'm told by uh, people who work uh, in your former neck of the woods, you know, the staffs of the members of Congress who are involved on a day-to-day basis with trying to thrash out, um, you know, legislative language and so forth. It, they're just absolutely besieged by um, lobbyists for the companies um, who are not encouraging them to uh, investigate ambitious new forms of regulation, who are instead doing what they usually do, which is raising all the reasons why you shouldn't go forward, why that's a huge problem, why you're heading right into a swamp and you you just can't do that and so forth. Um, This is not the behavior of a company that that wants to uh, uh, enhance uh, regulation. And and finally, the, the final cynical piece of it is that I think by saying over and over, we really need the government to set the parameters, you are basically telling the, the camera, so to speak, the, to, to point at Capitol Hill, where you are pretty confident nothing's going to happen. Um, and that in and of itself is a way of kind of fending off uh, negative attention uh, and so forth. So yeah. I, I just don't see it as being a very uh, heartfelt um I mean, I see, the, yeah. you know, you watch cable TV, you see that stuff all the time. And, um, you know, they, they've got one version of the ad. And I think these are actually probably real Facebook people would be my guest, where they get a nice guy who sits in a chair and says, you know, the problem is we have to make these hard decisions. And we don't know. He's talking specifically about content moderation. We don't know, you know, exactly how to calibrate them. And what we really need is for the government to give us a framework, because then it's not a private company making a decision. It's every, you know. Democratically elected people make the decision. That is so, such a a, a red herring. It's almost impossible to capture. The government could not do what he's suggesting it it do. That takes us back to the government setting policies or making decisions. So that's like completely disingenuous to be offering that to the public, that the government should be telling us how to make these decisions. And then if the government moves in that direction, I guarantee you Facebook's lobbyists will be out there in droves trying to uh, tell the world that this is a huge First Amendment uh, crisis. 
Yeah. Um, so it, 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 it makes me shake my head every time I see that. I just wanted to ask you kind of lastly, is there anything we didn't cover that you think is really important here that people should be thinking yeah. about? Yeah. You know, in connection with the, the proposal that I've made, in connection with the many, many proposals that have made on the Hill, um, in the end, uh, neither the federal nor the 50 state governments um, can solve the problems that we all perceive with social media. Um, that's largely because they're so technologically complicated and regulators are never going to have the tools that set the First Amendment to one side. Even when, if, if the First Amendment isn't a hurdle, the government doesn't have the tools to filter the, these, um, these platforms. And then the First Amendment is in place, and we don't want the government filtering the platforms. So whatever we do in the way of transparency, in the way of uh, demanding procedurally adequate content moderation, even just making exceptions to Section 230, in the end, these platforms are going to have to themselves do a better job. In the end, it's going to be up to them. Uh, and... Uh, you know, and that's a, an unusual situation uh, to be in. Um, but because of the technological complexity and because of the scale, because we, the, 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 you know, the horse is out of the barn, the, uh, the platforms are as, are as large as they are, and um, uh, that's going to mean that the people superintending those platforms, along with their automated systems that they have designed, are going to be the only actors who can conceivably uh, make, the, make those platforms have um, fewer negative externalities, uh, you know, which is economists speak for the pollution that comes out of the factory smokestack um, and harms the community around the factory. The factory may be making very good products, but if there's an external, a negative externality, pollution out of the smokestack, everyone's going to get cancer anyway. Facebook provides a lot of useful services and a lot of fun and amusement. Um, but it's having these side effects. Um, and they are, uh, you know, contributing to extreme political polarization and other bad consequences. Um, interestingly, it's going to have to be Facebook that, that you know, addresses that. Um, and so that's something I think people should keep in mind, too. The, the best we can do is... Uh, regulate transparency, regulate sort of procedural adequacy, maybe even that's probably too ambitious, um, and try to create incentives through public opinion, through, uh, you know, political investigation, uh, incentives that get the companies to try to do the right thing more often, to weigh public interest against uh, the profit drive. Um, and, you know, that, that's a tricky thing to do. Yeah. And it seems like just the disclosure portion of what you're proposing would, would go a long way in I, allowing the public we, to do that. Would, one would hope. One would hope. Um, this is great. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Not at all. 